Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me, and a hot one it is. It's a very hot afternoon here in the Minneapolis area. It's going to be pushing triple digits today, from what I can tell. At least the heat index, it will feel like that. I'm always amused by the uh, weathermen that say something like, it's 97 degrees, but it feels like 98. That's, (laughs) I never get that. We have a great hour. Uh, Dr. Ross Olson is going to be joining me in just a couple of minutes, and then Vanitha Reisner. I'll be talking about her uh, journey, which is powerful. That's a conversation I had a couple months back, but I would uh, love for you to be blessed by it as well. That's coming up at 4.30. Uh, Romans 12.12, if you have not memorized this verse yet, please do. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. One more time, Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So that is uh, a memory verse that I committed to a long time ago. It's always a good one. It always seems to be rambling around in the front of my brain, too. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. See, you probably have already memorized it. How cool is that? All right, let's take a little break and then bring on Dr. Ross Olson. The Our Daily Bread Stand Strong Daily Devotional for Men helps readers reflect on God's Word and apply it to their lives. Each day's devotion, featuring personal stories and relevant scriptures, takes only a few minutes to read, but will leave the reader inspired and encouraged to grow in their faith and embrace God's strength in every area of life. We are giving away five copies this week. Enter to win today at MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. Finding encouragement. I'm just grateful to be able to be free to listen to Christian radio. And we're free to do that. I like a lot of the talk radio. Encouraging, uplifting, um, hopeful. I just have been listening forever, it yeah. seems like. Oh, I just appreciate the uplifting, you know, reminder of who I am and what I'm here for every day. Yeah. <laughs> Connecting your faith to your everyday life on Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. I have Dr. Ross Olson in studio. I'm awfully glad to be meeting him today. He's a retired pediatrician and he's also a volunteer with the Twin Cities Creation Science Association. He runs their website and is a speaker as well. He is also uh, teaches science to homeschool students. Uh, so he kind of does a little of everything. He's also a former missionary. Ross, welcome to the show. Thank you. When you say former missionary, what does that mean? Where'd you go? Uh, my wife and I were in Hong Kong for eight years. Eight a, years? At a mission hospital there. Yeah, and, uh, and that's, uh, how how good did you get at the language? Um, I could I could squeak by. I could ask him, where does it hurt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where does it hurt? That's nice. Um, you know, I was looking over uh, your the Creation Science website, and uh, you wrote an article, and there was a passage out of Acts that jumped off the page, and of course, I love Acts 20. 
Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Wow. That's going on today, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, to put that in context, um, I need to tell my own story. Please do. Uh, When I hit college, I was absolutely devastated by the scientific case as it was presented to me for evolution. Basically, they said, face it, folks, evolution is a fact. Uh, And then the psychologist said, you know, there are people out there like you who uh, can't handle real life, so they create this all-powerful parent figure hovering over you, taking care of all your needs. Uh, That's that's all God is. and, you know, I, I had a real struggle with my faith. I finally came to what I thought was a compromise. Um, okay, I know God is there. I'd worked at a summer camp. I'd see kids' lives change. Then i go back to college, and, and it was all attacked as, as fantasy. And I said, okay, God's there, but he used evolution. And I went to Hong Kong as a missionary, believing that. I was there trying to uh, preach the gospel. and uh, But, you know, uh all there, my um, brother sent me a couple of books uh, on intelligent design, and I looked for the first time at the evidence for evolution, and it wasn't there. They had given me absolute baloney, mm-hmm. and I thought, nobody ever told me this. And uh, so it, I, um, when I came back for some further training, one of our lecturers um, was saying um, the kidney evolved in an environment of low salt, and when the, so when the kidney gets too much sodium, it can't handle it, and it sends out hormones and raises the blood pressure. Now, after class, I said, "Sir, doesn't that sound more like a, a you know a fine finely tuned system that goes haywire?" Um, uh, and uh, he said, "Well, it's the time frame." So I'm picturing animals that have kidneys dying of strokes, you know, for millions of years before they get it right. And mm-hmm. and uh, I said, well, you know, actually there is evidence against evolution. Are, are you interested? He said, no. I said, wow. could I leave you some articles, some books? He said, stop. I know where you're going with this. You're going to talk about God and Jesus. I have no place for them in my life. And he turns around and then stops, turns back and says, and by the way, I don't think you can talk about this on a public university campus. It absolutely blew me away. I thought, you know, here I am, a lowly pediatric intern, and I know something that this guy doesn't even care to look at. So I started to understand at that point the intense peer pressure uh, within the scientific community to believe evolution. And I started to see that if you don't accept evolution, you do not make it in a scientific field. Um, and I knew a very warm-hearted uh, Christian professor at the university, advisor to one of the student groups who was a thorough theistic evolutionist, but he loved the Lord. And I thought, you know, people can be believers and they can be sincerely wrong, mm-hmm. but those ideas have consequences. Uh, and that's what I see in BioLogos. Um and uh, tell our listeners what BioLogos okay. is. Francis Collins, uh, 
is is the geneticist who oversaw the human genome project and he so started he, as an atheist didn't he you know he became a christian as mm-hmm. a uh, as an adult yes. and as an academic and um when he finished the genome project he wrote a book uh called um what was it fingerprints of god uh and in it he said the genome project has proved evolution because of all the junk DNA. Hmm. All these useless things in our genetic makeup that have no use for us now, but they probably did something when we were at the fish stage or at the at the reptile stage. Um, he then started an organization called BioLogos that got a, a grant from the Templeton Foundation, uh, which funds a liberal Christian things. Actually, Chuck Colson got a grant. He snuck in there somehow. But um, And their mission is to go to evangelicals and convert them into theistic evolutionists. Wow. And I think at the root, the idea is we have to protect the, the gospel because if, if people are ins- going to insist on creation out of nothing, especially if they're going to insist that it happened within a few thousand years, uh, that's going to drive people away from the gospel. It's not respectable in intellectual circles, and so, but but they go to churches um, and they say, you know, uh, uh, Adam and Eve. Well, maybe they were real people, but they were chosen from um, among um, some uh, soulless hominids and, and designated as the first humans. Uh, when the Bible says that death came because of sin. Well, you know, that's not quite right. There was death for hundreds of millions of years. In fact, that's the way God created. He the survival of the fittest. And when it says it was very good, that doesn't mean perfect. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, a, a person can be a Christian and can walk with the Lord if they have that, that spiritual connection with the Lord, but it's hard for somebody to start out if that's what they're fed. And a lot of young people are going to say, you know, I that's not the God I want to follow. I mean, he's cruel. He's clumsy. He keeps tinkering with his with his creation. And and what I found is the people who believe that, no matter how sincere, they're wrong in two significant areas. First of all, they're wrong about the science. Um, science does not support evolution. For a while, I believe that God created the universe knowing it would organize itself into life and human life and mm-hmm. all he had to do is put a soul in it doesn't happen you know you uh, organic matter does not organize itself uh, any more than uh, alphabet soup organizes itself into the encyclopedia britannica and but secondly is the the theologic implications if god used evolution then god is cruel god is clumsy uh he doesn't care for the weak. The weak are supposed to die off. That's true. It's the strong that would, would survive. And what's going to happen in the new creation? You know, is that going to be another uh, uh, tooth and nail uh, bloody battle for survival? Um, it just rips at the fabric of, of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, Darwin knew his theory was against biblical principles, didn't he? Yeah, in fact, you know, the... People who've written biographies say he was mad at God because yeah. of the death of his child and his father. He couldn't believe his father would go to hell, and and he was mad at God for his uh, 
his child's death. So he took his theory out on God. So, so he, yeah, he decided uh, he would not allow God to exist. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, then it's hard to be mad at a God that isn't there. Yeah, I've always, I've always <laughs> scratched my head about that one. You're so mad at a God you claim doesn't exist. Yeah. Reminds me of one of my kids when he was really young. When he was mad at you, he would put his finger out in front of his eye and he would rub you out. <laughs> <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that work, Ross? Because you're still here. Ask him. <laughs> <laughs> you're still here. Dr. Ross Olson is my guest, uh, and the website that you can go learn from is tccsa.tc. Yes. And tell me what that stands for again. Twin Cities Creation Science Association. Yep, I'll give it again. tccsa.tc. We will take a little break, and then we'll be back uh, more in just a minute. to the show i have in studio dr ross olson and he is a contributor and oversees the twin cities creation scientists association i think i said that right didn't i twin cities creation science association uh, that's pretty close yeah yeah that's pretty good for me uh, i i like to get pretty pretty close is what i like so it is a stumbling block for a lot of young believers isn't it or a lot of young people pursuing faith now it is, and I think that these, what happens is the solution doesn't solve anything. Um, and, and as far as the science is concerned, when I evolved into a creationist, as I said, I, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I accepted the Lord as a young child. I told my parents when I was seven I was going to be a med- medical missionary and then blindsided by the scientific evidence for evolution. But... Once I saw the the powerful evidence for design, I saw, you know, uh, there's got to be a creator. I mean, you pick up an arrowhead and you look at that and you say, that's not a natural rock. That's not the way they erode. Mm -hmm. Somebody acted on that. That's a very low-tech diagnosis of design. You know, the the simplest living cell is as complicated as a city. and and so we can see design, and so that was the first thing that I said, okay, there's got to be a designer there. But, but I hung up for a while on the age of the earth, and I thought, well, why can't we just talk about design and leave it at that? The evidence for a young earth uh, is a little more complicated. It takes a little more digging. But, for instance, the geologic column is touted as you've got simple things at the bottom, more complex as you go up. Okay, but they're in layers, discrete layers. If you take a, think of a mental picture of the Grand Canyon, you got the, it looks like a layer cake. You got these flat layers and they, they change one after another. Mm-hmm. You have limestone, sandstone, shale, and you know, and there's sharp borders. Okay, where did the millions of years come in? They're full of fossils, including fossil clams. Uh, think of a beach. Where do where do the clams live? They live in the sand. If you try to catch a clam, you know, you see that little bubble and you go after it, it mm-hmm. digs away from you. Okay, you're not going to uh, 
bury a clam and fossilize it by laying down one millimeter a century of sand. Plus, sand does not settle in the middle of a shallow sea. You have energetic water-carrying sand, so that's why it's on the beach or it's in a rapid river. So to get fossils, you have to have rapid deposition. To have larger particles, you have to have energetic movement of water. And then, okay, as the millions of years between the layers, well, then you'd have erosion. You would have gullies, riverbeds, but but you have these things you know, changing one after the other. Mm-hmm. This fits far better with sudden deposition by lots of water over a short time. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, a worldwide flood, you cover the land with water, you'll have twice a day tides. You'd have the erode, uh, erosion phase as the tide rises. You'd have the deposition phase changes as different things get dropped. And the order of burial would go by habitat. You'd get deep-sea creatures, followed by shallow-sea creatures. You'd get things that can escape after things that couldn't escape. And then, to top it off, when Mount St. Helens blew, we saw finely graded layers being deposited within hours. That if you'd walked into that as a geologist sometime later, you'd say, well, this must have taken thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to deposit. We we know that it happened almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Ross, I, I heard that virtually, well, every society throughout the world, even if, if you go into the jungles and talk to these little tribes, everyone has in their history the um, story of a world flood. Yeah. You know, There's and no that's, one that doesn't. That has been noted for a long time, and it's uh, it's been carefully researched. This happens before the Bible came with the missionaries. And, and and so the logical explanation is that they all have their story because it was all passed down to them um, from the actual experience, that there really was a flood. Now, the, the stories, some of them are more fanciful than others, and that's what you'd expect if, if stories get passed down. They're mm-hmm. going to get altered. The scriptural critics say, well, the... The Bible was just taken from the Gilgamesh epic and because Moses wrote after the those other documents. But uh, there's good evidence in the Bible that Moses had documents that were handed down. And the way the, that Genesis is written, these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Seth can be interpreted. This is the scroll of Adam. And, mm-hmm. when, uh, and so there were actual documents. We know that Shem's life overlapped Abraham's life. Uh, scripture doesn't tell us, but uh, it's certainly the possibility that uh, Abraham got the documents that had come through the flood in the Arbor, uh, library of the Ark. It's really fascinating. When I think of Genesis chapter 1, and it goes back to saying that um, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in the beginning, I just wonder how long ago that was. Yeah. You know, we've got the genealogies, and, and people say, well, there's probably gaps in the gene- genealogies, and, and the, the Septuagint actually adds more time than the Masoretic text. But you know, when it says Adam was so many years old when he begat Seth, Seth was so many years old, mm-hmm. and on it goes. I mean, you can add those together. Now, maybe depending whether it's the first part of the year or the second part of the year, you you can you can go... You know, a few years this way or that, but you're not going to add millions of years there. Yeah. 
And and then Jesus said, man was created with all the other animals in the beginning. I mean, the, the whole fabric of Scripture treats Adam and Eve as part of history. It's a, it's a fascinating study. And when you start having conversations with other peers, what kind of pushback do you get when you start to express your view? Well, you know, there's not real freedom of speech for conservatives, much less for Christians. There's a group of uh, my former colleagues, now retired, and we used to have discussions until uh, I would introduce certain topics and uh, somebody would walk out and then I'd get a lecture on polite conversation. Really? Oh, yeah. That idea is not welcome in the that's marketplace that's of right. discussion, huh? Yeah. That's, that's right. really interesting. Mm-hmm. So what kind of encouragement could you give believers to, to defend your position? Well, I think it's, it's crucially important uh, first of all, to to be armed, to know what we believe and why, and to realize that we biblical creationists hold the intellectual high ground. There is powerful evidence, both scriptural and scientific and logical, for our position. In mm-hmm. that there are resources, there are plenty of resources. When I w- when I uh, went to the University of Minnesota in 1960, there were not a lot of resources on creation. And now there's tremendous amount. On our uh, website, we have uh, links to about 130 other creation organizations. There are lots of books, tapes, DVDs. But I think it's crucially important that the younger generation hear about this because young people are walking away from church. In a survey by Beamer, who wrote a book with Ken Ham, By middle school, 38% of kids raised in evangelical churches have doubts about the Bible. Wow. Because of this. You know, it's it's because the Bible has not been defended. Yeah. And so many churches, they will, they'll say, you know, we're just going to ignore that. We're not going to talk about creation. We just talk about the gospel. The Mm. trouble is you lose the reason for the gospel when you don't have the perfect creation, the fall which makes necessary the the cross. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, close our time together by uh, going back to the idea of dating. Um, and you started dating your, your wife how many years ago? Well, we, we met in 1966. And this month you've been married 48 years. 49 years. 49 years. Next year is going to be 50. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. And happy anniversary. And Thank you. Thanks for coming into the studio, and thanks for giving us uh, a heads up for the resources. The Twin Cities Creation Science Association has got a long list of powerful resources that you will uh, enjoy looking at. That website is tccsa.tc. So thank you very much, yeah. Dr. And Olson. we have meetings every month at North University of Northwestern on the third Tuesday of each month. That's fantastic to know as well. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. Awfully nice to meet you. We will take a short break and be right back with lots more.
love all my guests. I think you're going to really love my next one. Benita Reisner is a, f- a freelance writer. She's also uh, written a book called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. Benita, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here, Bill. So nice to be here. Because you were with me in the morning, I wanted to have you back on the afternoons. And I think it would be appropriate for, uh, you know, you to give our listeners a little taste of, of your story because it's so big. Okay, sure. Um, I'm not sure how big or little a taste um want, but I can just how about medium. Medium is always a good size. Medium. Yes. Okay, medium. Okay. Well, um, I'm not a stranger to suffering. I um, contracted polio when I was three months old. I was a baby in India, and they don't give the vaccine until six months then. But polio had been almost eradicated, so the doctors had no idea what it was, and so they gave me the wrong medicine. They gave me cortisone broke down my body's immune system. Within 24 hours, I was totally paralyzed. And then the doctor said, oh, no, we had no idea that's what it was. And they told me my told my parents they had to leave India because there was nothing they would be able to do. And so my parents left India, and I spent really the next 10 years of my life in the hospital. I lived in the hospital for um, a year at a time at times and had – Eight, 21 operations, actually, by the time I was 13. So really no stranger to suffering on that sense. Um, when I was not in the hospital, though, I was home and bullied a lot. I dealt with kids making fun of me. One time kids actually threw stones at me. So I, I grew up really angry at God. Mm-hmm. My parents are Christians. But And I went to church and pretended I was a Christian, but I was not at all. I actually hated God and uh, didn't know if I believed he existed, but I thought if he did exist, I wanted nothing to do with him. And then, But when I was 16, I heard the gospel and committed my life to Christ, which was pretty incredible. It really changed my whole perspective, but part of my perspective that changed was I thought, okay, now everybody has one big problem, and I've had my big problem, and my life is going to be super great and easy. And I was really convinced of that for 10 years. I would say I really bought into this sort of prosperity gospel mindset that if you are faithful and you love God, then everything is going to be great. And I believed that until I was 30, in my early 30s, and I had a son who had a heart problem, and he died because the doctor made a mistake. And that kind of led to this huge crisis of faith for me. How can I pray and trust God and have a son who died? And so that really led me to start looking at who is God really? Because I think before, God was somebody to save me from heaven and somebody to make my life easy. It really wasn't that I had this relationship with God where I loved just being with God. God was to bring me good things. And I was really glad that my theology changed at that point because there was a lot of suffering that was ahead of me that I didn't know because I was then diagnosed a few years later with post-polio syndrome, which is basically when you have polio, you have lots of surgeries and you do exercise and you do all these things and you can do things that they never thought you could do when you first got polio because I mentioned I was a quadriplegic and I was able to walk and lead a normal life. And thought that was my, that was the way life was going to be. But then I found out post-polio had set in, which is when your body starts going backwards. And so all the gains and progress you made after you'd initially gotten polio, excuse me, starts to unwind. 
And eventually I, I will be a quadriplegic again, um, which was a shocking thing to me because I just didn't think that was part of what polio meant. They didn't know that when I got polio. It was a recent thing that they had discovered. And then after that, I, I dealt with that, figuring out what my life was going to be. And then my husband, who I'd been married to for 20 years, um, came home and said he was leaving for someone else and went through back and forth for three years and eventually divorced. And that was just rocked my world. My girls walked away from faith at that time. And life was pretty hard. And yet God has drawn me to himself through all of those things. And I'm really grateful for the ways that I have drawn close to God and that God has met me in those things. So I don't know if that was medium long. or No, that was that. that it's so riveting. And when you talk about uh, each little episode of life, I mean, I, I want to go back and say, how can you not be anything but angry at a God that would allow this you to spend a year at a time in, in a hospital and then 13 surgeries and then you're getting teased. How do you how do you cross that that barrier to say, OK, I, want, I need to look at God differently and see how did you come to faith? Well, um, actually, I got involved when I went to high school with Fellowship of Christian Athletes and I was not an athlete or a Christian, but I wanted to fellowship with the Christian. athletes. <laughs> so yeah. um, so I got involved because I thought that was a good idea. And a friend of mine and I would sit in the back and we would just talk about boys and the athletes that, that were at our school. and one day she went home and she went, she actually, she went on a retreat that I didn't go on. And she came back and said, God is real. Huh. And she invited me to her house and said, I want to talk to you about this. And I remember thinking, Oh no, she's going to want to talk about God all the time. I don't want to talk about God. And she did. She talked about God all the time. So finally one night I went home and I just said, God, if you're real, show me. I really didn't expect God to answer. And then I opened the Bible. I had a Bible that I had, I just kind of shoved into my drawer that my parents had given me. And I opened it up and flipped open to Leviticus and there was something, some rule or law. And I said, God, see, this is what I mean. This is meaningless. You don't have anything to say. So I was very arrogant. And then I just said, God, like, why did this happen anyway? If you're so real and so caring, like, why did all this happen to me? And I flipped open the Bible to John 9, and I started reading. And it was the story when Jesus is, um, they see a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God could be displayed in his life. And I just felt like God was talking to me. It, it was this beyond crazy feeling that anybody who's really felt like God has spoken to them in some way through reading the scripture there's, there's just this feeling like this is truth. This is God. This is not anything that I can understand beyond a supernatural being that is actually telling me why my life was like this. And so I really got down on my knees right that moment and committed my life to God. And I didn't really know God, but I knew that God was talking to me right then. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that just radically changed me. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about when you're going through periods of suffering uh -huh. and you start to get advice from people or you get what they consider to be their little chunk of wisdom. And it really turns out to be bad theology and how that can do so much harm. Um, yeah. So, you know, have you had 
examples of that when you what you were hearing was way less than helpful. I'll go as far as to say it was not even biblical, and the bad theology that you had was just doing more harm than good. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many times. Um, there's one time that I remember that um, that article that I had written on Desire and God kind of was sparked by, um, which is just about people saying you don't have enough faith. And I was in college, and went, there was a visiting faith healer coming, and everybody at school thought it was great to go. And one of my friends said, are you going to go? And I said, no, I really don't want to do that. But they talked me into it. There was no seats in the back, so we walked into this meeting, and I had to walk up to the front with my friend. And so this man gets up, and people are standing in line to be healed. And I did not want to go, but people kind of pushed me up there. And obviously, I, I, I had a pronounced glimpse, so I'm sure he was not sure what. You know, he knew that people would know whether I was healed or not. Mm-hmm. And so he prayed over me, and nothing happened. And he just looked at me, and he said, I could heal you, but you don't have the faith to be healed. Ouch. So if you go home and pray and get enough faith and come back, then I can heal you then. Okay. But God wants everybody to be healed. And clearly, if you're not healed, it's, it's your faith. And I was a freshman in college, just embarrassed in front of this crowded room of people. And I didn't know what to say. And I think, I mean, and I, I think he wanted to help me in a lot of ways, I, I, I think, but it was one of the most damaging things for me because I really questioned, you know, what do I know to be true and who is God and why am I humiliated? And it almost felt like God doesn't want anyone to suffer and suffering is a bad thing. I mean, that was basically what he was saying as he was calling everybody up is physical suffering is a bad thing or really any kind of suffering. And if we have faith, we're not going to go through that. Mm-hmm. And it really took a lot of like searching through the Bible to come up with why I didn't believe that. Because at first it was so shocking. Nobody had said that to me quite that way before. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it really kind of shook my faith for a bit. Well, I can understand why. And I think he was mostly thinking about himself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if Paul, I, uh, if Paul would have wandered up and said, I've got a thorn in my side, would he have been able to heal him? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's that was what I ended up with. But you know, when you're a freshman in college, you don't know what to say. I yeah. wish I had been able to say, you know, let's look at the Bible. Everybody wasn't healed. What do we make of that? But uh, what what is Paul? T- you know, people were martyred. They weren't, you know, they weren't ill, but they weren't healed god could have delivered them he could have delivered john the baptist but he didn't he died in prison you know i had all these things later that i would love to have said to him but i didn't say anything at the time mm-hmm. benita what happens when uh you do get advice that's not comforting and it's not helpful and i think christians often want to have the right thing to say they want to use discernment i love proverbs uh 25 that says and this is the New Living Translation. Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Mm. Um, you want to always have the right words at the right time so you can encourage and uplift people and build them up. But sometimes you come across and you can say things that are spiritually damaging and hurtful and and abu- almost a, just abusive. Yeah, yeah. And I think people sometimes say that because they feel like they have to say something. I, I yes. know um, at our son's funeral, 
people would come up and they'd want to say something helpful, but they would say, and, and they sometimes would say right theology at the wrong time is, is not right. Mm-hmm. I feel like Romans eight twenty eight is completely true. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But you don't say that at the funeral. So people would say things that, yes, I know God is going to use this, but they would say, this is all for the best. You've got to rejoice in this. And there's truth to that, but at the wrong time, it's it's not helpful. And then at the same time, there are people that say, if you just prayed enough, if you just had enough faith, mm-hmm. if you just do this or say that or read this verse or fast. I remember um, when I was pregnant with Paul, I got a letter from someone who said, I really feel like you need to pray in faith, believing you need to fast every week. You need to do all of these things. And if you do them, your son will be fine. And so it, it, it takes the God isn't really in the equation. It's just this bargain with God that we do right. our part and oh, then yeah. God owes us to do his part. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really a relationship with God. It's not. It's there's nowhere in that theology that God uses pain and suffering for good. That theology is just that we need to figure out how to get God to do what we want him to do. And yeah. whether that's praying the right way or saying the right things, it's it's no different than a lot of pagans believe. I mean, they want to make sacrifices to God to get what they want. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's just how do we get God to give us what cost we benefit want. analysis? It's not right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Vanita, let me take a little break. Vanita Reisner is my guest, and we'll be back in uh, ninety seconds with more of her. on the 47 13 minutes until the top of the hour Vanitha Reisner is my guest and Vanitha um how how long ago did Paul die Paul died 20 years ago okay and how old would he be actually. today he would be 21 so I guess he yeah oh I'm so sorry thank you thank you that's the loss that lives forever isn't it it is. I mean, when you when you lose a child, um, you always look at what other people are doing. Oh, of course. At the same age, so you see. You know, yeah. Yeah. People are graduating from college and starting their jobs. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I find that the quote you gave, uh, "Right theology at the wrong time" is still wrong. Uh, I'm going to be chewing on that for a while. That's really good. <laughs> because we have all the best intentions, and we want to. Bring biblical wisdom, of course, to someone suffering and someone hurting. But again, sometimes we just need to show up and shut up. Right, right. And I find that myself, even though I experienced people kind of bludgeoning me with theology, because, and that's been really hard, I find that I've done that myself. Because I want to say the one word that is going to change somebody's life when they're suffering. No, totally. And I feel like being being silent doesn't do that. So I, you know, offer up my suggestions. And if those don't help, then I've got, you know, verses and life experiences. And I realize those aren't helpful most of the time. People just want us to sit with them. Mm-hmm. So I have to remind myself of that because I do what I don't want other people to do when I'm, what I want, I feel like I'm at a loss. Yeah, I think we all do that. 
Yeah. Well, you must hold the record for the most number of days and nights in a hospital. <laughs> I, I had a lot of them. But I mean, it's amazing. Off yeah. and on for 10 years and a year at a uh-huh. time. So I don't know if there's a lot of other people that would have that kind of uh, uh, record. And when somebody comes to you and they have a health concern and they ask you and say, Vanita, okay, I've got this health issue. Uh, what if God doesn't heal me? What would you say? I'd say if God doesn't heal you, then God is going to use that suffering in your life in ways that will blow your mind one day. And one, God is going to use that to draw you closer to him, which is really why we're here. Um, But God is also going to do so many things that you can't see or know. Um, John Piper has a saying that I love. God is doing a thousand things in everything he does most of which we know nothing about. Yeah. We and gotta, so I would say, we go gotta, ahead. We got to remind ourselves of that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, which um, I say to myself all the time, which is, um, there is no greater mercy that I know of on earth than good health, except it be sickness. And that has often been a greater mercy to me than health. It is a good thing to be without a trouble. But it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. Mm. And um, so it, it's really it is a better thing. I think sickness in a lot of ways is a better thing than health mm-hmm. because it draws us to God. It, the things, the prayers that I have answered, the things that are just going fine in my life, I'm grateful for them. But they don't draw me to God like the hard things do. Mm-hmm. What about when people use um, cliches or slogans that you just think mm, that's really simple or they, they use misapplied scripture? Um, what, what do you consider is the best way to go about? Do you, do you just accept it and say, or do you confront them and say, boy, that, that doesn't, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that, Often I don't say anything, okay. but I think there are times when it's it's good to say that was hard to hear. Okay, that was not helpful. I, I rarely try to correct people because I feel like that often makes them defensive, and then that makes me even more hurt because they don't seem to understand that it was hurtful. Because um, I think people want to defend themselves if you attack them. So generally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say to people, you shouldn't say that to me. But I might say, I don't know if you know, but that's a really hard thing to hear right now. Mm -hmm. And I think people usually listen to that. And sometimes they might say, because I've had people say pretty hard things, they might say, I'm so sorry, or what what should I say? What can I do differently? I think if you you talk about how it feels for you. But sometimes I don't want to be that vulnerable. So sometimes I just smile and let it go. Um, I admire people, so I'm not saying it's wrong to to say that to people, but you need to be a little bit stronger to be able to tell somebody that what they're saying isn't really wise or right because you have to be willing to hear a little bit of backlash from that. Mm -hmm. And and often I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, and Vanita, can I ask about the post-polio condition that you're dealing with as well? Did you you say that the, the future of that will put you back in a wheelchair? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
And, um, and to be honest, that's not the hardest part for me at all. It's my arms because both my arms and my legs were affected and I am having a lot of trouble with my arms. Like I don't, I used to be an artist when I was younger and love to cook and scrapbook and paint. And I can't do any of those things anymore because I, I really, I feed myself, which is great, but, and I can write, but not for very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So my arms are really the thing that's, that's harder because when I was at this polio clinic once, they explained that your arms are always preferable to your legs in terms of strength. Cause you can be in a wheelchair and get around, but if you don't, if you can't use your arms, somebody has to take care of you because you know, you need your arms more to take care of yourself. So that's been a, a huge loss, I have to say, and probably if you ask me what I'm struggling with the most nowadays, it would be that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the slow loss of, of knowing what I could do last year, I can't do this year. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, it keeps me on my knees, that's for sure, or at least keeps me dependent on God. Yeah, but beneath your heart is just so full of the, the Lord, and I, I'm just, I'm so inspired by you, so... Um... I know I know my listeners are too. I just had a listener say, "Has she ever met Johnny Erickson Tata?" Yes, yeah. I'm actually. A, uh, Johnny is a friend of mine, and she I wrote the foreword to my book, and she's amazing. When I talk about somebody who has lived through so much suffering and is more joyful than anybody I know, it would be Johnny. She's amazing. So. No, and you she are is. Too. She's my hero. Well, yeah. I, I mean, she really is my hero. So I'm thrilled that somebody wants to know if I know her because I'm. I'm honored to know. Yeah. And what, what do you say to people that m- might be leaning towards the prosperity gospel um, approach where they say if um, you just would have prayed more or had better faith or you start fasting that you might not be in this situation? I think I would say God uses my has is using my suffering and my pain and i believe that god is sovereign it's not about me it's not that i have to do the right things or i have to pray the right way that god loves me enough that he's going to give me the very best for me and so whether i don't pray enough or i pray a lot god is always for me and he's not punishing me and so god is going to use this and and i would say just even looking at johnny that's a testimony to somebody who loves god so deeply and is so has touched so many people that if that's what suffering does in the life of someone, I'd say bring it because that's her life is spectacular in mm-hmm. terms of what she has done and why are we here but to glorify God and enjoy it forever. And Johnny's life glorifies God. Whereas I would say a lot of people who have healthy bodies and perfect lives their lives glorify themselves more. And, and I'm not saying that everybody who does that feels that way at all. But when I look at the prosperity gospel, is very me-centered. It is that God owes me and God wants me to have a great life. Right. And I think our lives need to be a lot more about making much of God rather than God making much of us. Mm-hmm. Benita, we just have two minutes left. Would you tell my listeners that suffering is not punishment? Yes, suffering is not punishment. Um, God punished Jesus on the cross, and that is he took all of our punishments. God does not punish us at all. And so realizing that it never is, it cannot be. So our suffering, any suffering, God is using in our lives for our good and for his glory. 
And we have to believe that mm-hmm. because he, he promises that. Yeah. Vanita, do you still blog at uh, danceintherain.com? I do. Okay. I dance do. Danceintherain.com is where you can go uh, read uh, Vanita's blog. And her book is The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. You're an inspiration and you're a great guest. And I've just loved talking to you. Oh, this has been great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you can cross this off your bucket list. Yes. This is good. The Afternoons with Bill Arnold show. So that's great. Thank you again for coming back on the show. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll have you on again soon. Oh, I'd love that. Thanks a Thank lot, you. Vanitha. Yep, That wraps up our show. I sure appreciate all my guests. Vanitha has been fantastic. And if you want to learn more about her, go to Dance in the Rain. Dot com. Although she doesn't like rain and has no sense of rhythm, that is the name of her website, danceintherain.com. And again, her book is called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. If you ever wanted to read a book about someone who has suffered, she is one of the top two or three that you're going to learn a lot from. And it's going to be real heart-filled and uh, Bible-based, and you're going to learn a lot. That wraps up the show for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for being such uh, great fans of Faith Radio and supporting, listening, caring. We love you. It's now time to uh, ring the bell. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.